Well, good morning. Once again, you can be seated if you're with us in the room. So good to see each and every one of you. I think I'm on my mark here. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. It's a joy to be able to worship with you this morning and um, to just be gathered in this space. And as I say, often I, I will end this way more than likely. But just as I think about it at the beginning of our time together this morning, if I haven't had a chance to meet you or um, to get to know you, I would love an opportunity to do that um, as soon as we're done uh, with our time of worship this morning. Um, and so please uh, make your way. I'll grab a mask and we can say hello out in the hallway. But we are in, a, uh, in the midst of a study of the Sermon on the Mount uh, from Matthew 5 uh, through 7. And so if you are joining us uh, for the first time this morning, I just want to encourage you to um, go to Matthew 5 right now. And uh, we have been spending uh, um, time working our way through just these first few verses even of what is called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is teaching to us. And as he preached this sermon, he gathered his disciples on a hillside and he informed them of the way of the world, the way ultimately though of the kingdom of God. And we've been working our way through this. You can go back, by the way, and you can catch up on uh, these sermons. You can find us on wherever you get your podcasts. You can find City Church Melissa. You can also just go to our website, citychurchmelissa.com. If you're with us online, you know where to go already. So you can go backwards and uh, just uh, catch up with us. But as Jesus began his teaching, he began with these, these statements of blessedness. And uh, we define this as sometimes referred to as the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes refer to supreme blessedness because... Of of the kingdom of God because of who Christ is and what he has done. And so Jesus, as he's teaching, he's teaching to a people who are dealing with all of the pain and suffering and the challenges of the world they live in. They were not immune in any sense to those hardships and even more so many than what we might experience um, in our modern day Americans as uh, living in this world. But in their time in history, they were a people who were oppressed by a foreign government. They were, uh, had been treated as slaves. They were looked down upon. They were considered worthless. And Jesus, he goes up on the mountainside and he collects them together and he begins to teach them about his kingdom and to demonstrate for them the difference or the otherness of the kingdom of God from where they were living. And so he issues these statements. And very intentionally, we know that Jesus did not say these words on accident. He didn't stumble upon this sermon in any sense, but very purposely set out to teach his people, teach these people about his kingdom. And it says in verse 2 of chapter 5, And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. These two statements, they build upon one another. And as we get to the third statement that we're going to look at more closely this morning, it builds upon these two. And in a sense, he's asking them the question, have you been emptied of yourself? Do you realize in a spiritual sense that you are destitute? You have nothing to offer. And if you recognize that, then you can put your hope in that state of mind, in that sense, as you have been just recognized how hopeless you are, you can put your hope in Christ to restore your soul and become a citizen of this kingdom. Yes, this world looks bleak, friends, he's saying to them, but let me tell you, as you have been emptied of yourself, I have come to fill you and to restore you and welcome you as a citizen of the kingdom. And if you are a citizen of the kingdom, then the circumstances of this world and this life and all of the challenges that you 
might have experienced. They have, let the, they have lost their grip on you. Those things don't have their tentacles into your life in the way that they once did. And so your life will lived, be lived much differently. As your neighbors do all that they can to live their best life now, you sit and remain satisfied even in the storms of this dark age that we live in. And because, he says, because you're a citizen now of this kingdom, if you've done that, if you've been emptied of yourself and been welcomed in as a citizen of his kingdom, then you realize that your hope is in Christ alone. And your hope, because your hope is in Christ alone, your desires have been transformed. Those desires now are desires to live for his glory and his glory alone. And because of that... We look at our own lives, we analyze the way we live and those circumstances and the things that we deal with. And we realize, even in spite of what I know of Jesus and even in spite of what I know of his love for me, I've been welcomed as a citizen of his kingdom. I lament my sinfulness. I lament and grieve my sins. I mourn the sinfulness of my own heart. And as I mourn that sinfulness... I hold on to the promise because I mourn. I know that Jesus will comfort me. He says, you shall be comforted. And so we have these first two statements that build upon one another. And then he comes to his third statement. He says, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. And it's helpful to remember as we think about these statements that Jesus is describing for us what it looks like, what it means to be a Christian. So sometimes we might ask, what does it mean to be a Christian? Your friends might ask you if you have friends that are non-believers. And if you don't have friends that are non-believers, then you need more friends. Or at least new friends or something. You need to meet friends, know people that don't walk with Christ. And as you engage in your life with those friends that don't know Christ, they, they might ask you at some point, we would hope, what does it mean to be a Christian? Or how do you become a Christian? Of course we know to repent and believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, what he did on the cross. That's what it means to be a Christian. A Christian or how we become Christian. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. This is what saves us, what leads to our salvation. But as people who have been saved, who have been welcomed as citizens of God's kingdom, what does it look like? What are the demonstrable evidences of a Christian? That is what Jesus is describing in this sermon. He is taking us on a journey to sort of point us to this is what Christians look like. This is what my people look like. It's like this. When I was a child, we used to go to museums every now and again. We'd have the field trip to the museum. I think I went with my own children at younger ages to the Perot Museum here in Dallas. We'd tour around. And when you go to the museum, you find yourself to, you know, you might come upon a display. And in this display of human history, you might see a, a mannequin there. And the mannequin is dressed. And there'd be placards that would describe how he, the people used to wear these types of, of, of clothes. And they would have these weapons or these tools. And this is all in the placards would describe this ancient person that we are kind of as foreign to us, but would help us understand the way that they lived and the things that they did and the challenges that they faced and how they were equipped to, to deal with those challenges. Jesus is taking us into not a museum, but forward looking into the life of someone in the kingdom. And he's saying, these are the placards that you will read. This is what their life looks like. Blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. Jesus has gone up on the hillside, gathered his disciples, and described 
for us what Christians look like. And so if we ourselves are called Christians, if we have put our faith in Christ, then these placards, these beatitudes, these, these descriptions should describe us. We should see ourselves reflected in these statements. Jesus knows the pain and the challenges of the people that he was speaking to when this sermon was recorded. He also knows very well the same challenges and pains and things that we deal with. He knows what we are experiencing in this world and life. He's, the, he is not distant from us. He is very present. And Jesus is telling us and telling his original hearers that things are not as they would seem. This is the life I came to give you, he says. And as I give you this life, this is what your life will look like. So, blessed are the meek. We've every time as we've opened these statements, we've sort of just pondered for a moment how just sort of crazy or radical or different these statements of Christ are from what we hear every day in the world. And this one is exactly the opposite of anything that we have ever been heard or taught. Blessed are the meek. That doesn't make sense to us and really on two fronts. One, we would never describe meekness as a quality that leads to conquest or power. Jesus says, blessed are the weak for they shall inherit the earth. They will have dominion, have ownership, possess all of the earth. In our own minds, we think to ourselves, no, meekness does not ever lead to power, to influence, to strength. How could someone who is meek become the owner of the entire world? Isn't it the powerful one? The aggressor? The one who determines and sets his course and moves forward boldly in strength to conquer the world that ultimately possesses the world? The other reason this is somewhat confounding to us is it says, Blessed are those, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Aren't we also as Christians supposed to just forget about this world? Is this world supposed to be less than anything? Or are we always supposed to keep our eyes on this, on heaven? So Jesus is teaching us and changing and shaping the way we view the world. See, to his disciples, to Jesus' disciples that were hearing this for the first time, they looked around and all they saw were Roman oppressors, rulers who had conquered most of the world at this time in human history. And they were continuing to conquer other people. And they would possess it. And he was telling them, it might look as if the Romans are in charge. It might look to you as if the Romans are going to one day possess the entire world. But the world is not theirs to be owned or to give. And so he's telling them, look, let me describe for you. Don't look at the world simply with your physical eyes. This is a spiritual mindset. And so for us as Christians, we're called and we can see we look at the world completely differently. And it's the Christian who sees the world completely differently than anyone else who is blessed, who is supremely blessed. Christians are men and women who have been made alive by Christ. Completely new creations. And as new creations, just as Jesus' words to us are confounding because of his work in our lives, we become confounding to the world. 
We cause problems for those around us in in some sense because we cannot be explained. We cause our neighbors to ask, why do they act the way they act? Why do they do the things they do? What do they possess that I do not? And they struggle to try and explain us. It's why right now so much in the news and often in our current sort of conversation in our world, the evangelical is completely, everybody wonders, what are they all about? What is going on? Where is their minds? And as the great preacher, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones once said, and a challenge for me, if you and I are not in this primary sense, I wish I could say this with his thick English accent, If you and I are not, in this primary sense, problems and enigmas to the non-Christians around us, then this tells us a great deal about our profession of the Christian faith. Are we confounding to the world? Jesus is speaking words that are confounding. They don't make any sense. And he's saying, this is what you should look like. You should be just radically different. So other that you cause problems in their own minds. The Jewish people who were hearing this, hearing Jesus teaching, they had been waiting for a Messiah who would come to deliver them from the rule and oppression of other nations that they had been facing for hundreds and hundreds of years. The Messiah, they believed, would come and conquer the world. The Messiah would come with military might and deliver God's people to to their rightful place. And they're thinking that the means to God's ends, what God intended to do, was a demonstration of force. And Jesus says, oh no, friends, blessed are the meek, for they are the ones who will inherit and receive possession of the entire world. That's what the Jewish thinker thought when they heard, blessed are the meek, who were listening to him. And aren't we also challenged by this today? As Christians, too often, I think we see it as our job to go to war against all those who would oppress the ways of God. Whatever we perceive to be the right way and what God would intend, we have decided that it is our mission to take military force and literally go to war on attack against anyone and everyone who would see the world differently. We organize ourselves, we put ourselves in ranks and platoons and send out our battalions of, of warriors, culture warriors that go out to declare God's ways and conquer all those ultimately to destroy or even cancel anyone who sees the world differently than we do. We see our way of winning for God is to fight against the world, to challenge. And isn't this once again revealing our own pride? We believe that we know best what God desires for this world And it's our job to stand against all of his enemies. And because God really isn't powerful enough to accomplish what he intends to accomplish in this world, he's left it up to us to do it for him. That's the height of pride, friends. That's not what it looks like. And that's why Jesus says, blessed are the meek. This is Jesus' words. Take them seriously. Allow them to penetrate the depth of your own heart. To cause some wrestling in your soul. 
Do you view your responsibility as a Christian, as the placard of your life, as someone who goes to war against the enemies of God? Or do you trust in God's sovereignty and do you believe in his purpose and do you take Jesus at his word when he says, blessed are the meek? Do you want to know why so many of our neighbors who see the world very differently than we do, who have belief systems that are very different than ours, who live out their lives very differently, even radically differently than we do, so often will not hear from us, have no interest in what the Christian has to say. It's because for generations... Dear souls, these dear souls, these men, women, children who are fellow image bearers just like us have been told that they're standing on the wrong side and it is our responsibility to go to war, that we hate them, that we will destroy them, that we will conquer them. We don't come to the world with empathy, with grace, with the mercy of Christ. We come with our swords drawn, ready to go on attack. Why would they listen to someone who has made it their mission to be to conquer That's why Jesus said these words. Because he knows our own deceitfulness. He knows our sinfulness. The pride that has caused us to believe that the reason or has caused us to forget that the only reason that we have eyes to see the world the way that we do is because of God's merciful grace to us. We are not better than the world around us. We are not above them. There is one who is seated at the right hand of the Father right now. Jesus. He is the one who is worthy of glory. He is the one that should be lifted up. We are all broken vessels. Redeemed by the grace of God. Out of his mercy towards us. And so as we look around the world and we see all of the brokenness and the challenges and the pain and the suffering, we must not make it our aim to go to war against those things. But we must realize it's God's grace that has saved and redeemed me. Let me be a messenger of his mercy and his grace to the world. And that is an otherness that the world will not understand. The world will struggle to grasp that. Jesus says, I believe to us today. You have absolutely no idea what my plans are. They're my plans. And I will accomplish them. Do you believe that when Jesus said, I will build my church, which means I will redeem a people to myself and gather them together as my flock, as their good shepherd, and the gates of hell will not stand against them? Do you believe that that is true? Do you believe when Jesus spoke that, he meant what he said, that the gates of hell, by the way, I've been to the place where Jesus spoke that sermon, where he talked about the gates of hell, and it was where pagans used to throw babies into the pits as sacrifices. It was called the gates of hell. And Jesus, as he preached this sermon, is pointing to this place, and he's saying, I will build my church, I have plans, there is nothing in this world that will change, or will conquer, or will get in the way of me intending to do what I will do, not even this evil. And if that is true, then we can trust Jesus. And we can turn, the way we view the world is turned on its head. And that's why Jesus could say statements that turn the world on their head. Blessed are the meek, for they are the ones that will inherit the earth. 
As we said, these Beatitudes are building blocks. Jesus has spoken them in a particular order and a purpose. And he talks about the blessedness of the poor in spirit who cannot get to God on their own and, but are destitute. And so they turn to God in that, uh, in that poverty, which leads us to an awareness of our own sinfulness. And as people who are sinful, hopeless people, we repent and lament, grieve our sin, which leads to humility. And humility, understanding our proper place, leads to meekness. And this is why this particular beatitude is so hard. They increase, by the way, in challenge. We can look forward to even harder statements of Christ beyond this. Because now we're dealing with something that is outside of just ourselves. When we're thinking about the poverty of spirit or lamenting our own sin, that is something in the, in the depths of our soul. When we're alone in our homes, we know those things are true of us. But now... Blessed are the meek when someone comes and attacks you and accuses you and points the finger at you. Now we're dealing with someone coming at us from the outside. And what do we like to do when that happens? I'll tell you what I like to do. I like to bow up. Let me tell you who I am. Do you know how much I've studied God's word? That's pride. These things bubble up in us. And so we have to realize the meek, those, what does it mean to be blessed? Or when he says blessed are the meek, he's now dealing with the outside world, how we interact with outsiders. So what does this mean to be meek? We all have this vision, this idea of meekness. And we might think of it in more, again, worldly or human terms. But who are these meek people? Let's think of a few examples from Scripture, from even the Old Testament. Moses. Think of Moses. He, had, he was a servant in Pharaoh's court, had, had the opportunity to be uh, uh, made avail to him all of the things of Pharaoh. The power, the wealth, all of those things could have been his. But he humbled himself to follow God's will for his life. He was meek. Joseph, who could have let his brothers starve to death after they had sold him or put him, in, you know, sold him into slavery, and he ended up in a, a pit, destitute to die. And when they come to him and their burden, when they're about to be killed themselves due to starvation, he cares for them, he provides for them, meekness. David knew that he had been anointed to be king. Yet he runs all over, allowing Saul to chase him, to try and kill him, to do all these things. Even goes so far as to have the opportunity to kill Saul as he's hiding out in the, in the cave. And he says, no, I won't kill God's messenger. I won't kill God's anointed meekness. Stephen, from the New Testament, preaches one of the greatest sermons ever preached. After this one, of course. Not when, I'm not speaking myself there, by the way. I should make that very clear. <laughs> speaking of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Caught myself. Y'all thought, yeah, man, he is prideful. <laughs> Stephen preaches this sermon, this great sermon, and then just lays down his hands for the people to stone him and commits his soul to Christ. Meekness. Paul, 
the great man of Christ, suffers to take the message of the gospel to the world. Could have, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Roman citizen, could have been whatever he desired, whatever the world would have offered, Paul could have had it. And he suffers to take the gospel to the world. Meekness. As we think of these examples, one of the things that would come to, to bear for us is that meekness is not the natural thing for us. It's not the natural man's way of doing things. All of those examples were, were meek, but they testified. They would say of themselves, if we go back and listen to what Paul says so often, or uh, Moses' testimony about who he is and, and, and the way that David interacted with the world, over and over and over again, as we listen to their own words, they would say that they, that's not the way that they lived their lives. That wasn't who they were on their own. It was not their natural inclination to do the things that they did. Rather, it was the Spirit of God at work in them that led them there. And this is, as we're saying, this means that this is not the natural way of life. Natural meekness, by the way, there is a more common or sort of available to some of us who are those that would not be in Christ to look meek. And what Jesus is describing here when he says blessed are the meek, he's not describing the natural means of meekness, not describing someone who just allows the world to run them over. This isn't just false humility. This isn't just a constant laying down and just being run over by the world over and over and over again. No, that's the natural way of meekness. But what Jesus is describing is a supernatural meekness. Meekness, which is strength. Such a strength that allows us to lay aside our own desires to follow the will of God. Such a strength that was possessed by Christ. Think of Philippians 2. Jesus, who humbled himself, who is God, humbled himself to come and lay down his life for the sake of others. He had complete power. As I think about that verse, I always remember the song we used to sing when I was a kid. He could have called 10,000 angels as he hung on that cross. But he didn't. Because in meekness... He laid down his own life because he was empowered to do so by the will of the Father. And we who have received his spirit, we can have an aptitude, an ability to harness a supernatural meekness that follows after Christ. So no, it's not the natural meekness that Jesus is after. It's a meekness that comes by the gift of the Holy Spirit. Supernatural So what does it look like? Meekness is a proper view of yourself. It's rightly understanding our position under God's sovereign hand. Think about how you view your own life. What what are your thoughts? Again, inwardly, when we're on our own, privately, we can lament and know how destitute we are. How helpless we are, our need of God's grace. At the same time, as we think about the attacks that the world has levied against us, we can sit alone and think, they don't understand. They don't know who I am. They don't know what I'm going to do. I have this plan. I have purposes. And we can begin to sort of dream and think up all of these ideas. And it's the way we view ourselves. 
Meekness is a proper view of yourself. And it says we have this right view of ourselves in mind. Then it impacts how we relate to others. A man will never truly be meek until he rightly sees himself as a sinner. This is why Jesus said before this, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who grieve and understand how vile, how sinful they are, how in need of grace they are. And when we understand our need as we rightly view ourselves as sinful people, desperately in need of God's grace, then we are humbled. And in that humility comes a meekness, a proper understanding of who we are. Meekness is also not just someone who views themselves properly, who understands who they are properly, but it's someone who is not always, as a result of that, looking out for yourself. Not always thinking of yourself first. Again, we look to Christ as our example. We had these other examples of the Old Testament and Stephen and Paul, but Jesus as our ultimate example as the one who we are to follow, humbled himself even to the point of death, even death on a cross, it says. He wasn't thinking and looking out for himself in that moment. He was looking out for the sins of the world, for every single one of us. Paul, or excuse me, Jesus is saying to us in that moment and demonstrating or teaching us that we're to look out for others. And a meekness, meekness looks like someone who is considering others greater than themselves. Have you ended with the idea that your rights and your wants are supreme to everything else in the world? Have you let go of those things that say it's my desires that are what are most important? It is my liberties of which are, which are most important. Or have we said others, everyone else, even those who disagree with me, who look differently than me, who see the world completely differently than I do, they are who I think of first. Others first. That is what meekness looks like. I love this quote. It says, He that is down need fear no fall. He that is down need fear no fall. We used to go skiing sometimes with my family and when my boys were little. I marveled at the idea as one who had to learn to ski a little later in life. At how they could just bounce down these hills and never even be fearful or worried about a fall at all. Because they were so low. If they fell, it didn't hurt. Their center of gravity was so low, they could just bounce down those moguls and nothing would ever happen to them. I would just watch as their little heads just went like this. And I just thought how painful my knees were going to be as I chased them. When we've become low, friends, when we've laid down our life... And considered others greater than ourselves. There's nothing, none of those attacks, none of those pointed arrows, none of those pointed fingers that say something about us, something evil about us, any of those things. They don't fall on us. Because we know there's no attack that someone can say about me that I haven't already known to be true about myself. When I have a proper view of myself and I consider others greater than myself. Now, nothing can be said. I always look at the, love listening to the coaches post game after whatever might happen. And usually 
this doesn't happen a lot for Cowboys, but you know, in recent years we've been you know, a little bit more prone to this. The coach would have to answer questions about why we lost. And he would often say, we are our own worst critics. We, we, we are the ones that, that, that look at the film and know everything and do all those things. There's nothing you can say about us that we don't already know about ourselves. Well, how much more at the soul level, at a spiritual level, as we think about all that we know of ourselves, if we rightly view ourselves and are not striving to prop ourselves up and create some image of ourselves for the world to look at that is not meek, is not humble, is not gentle and low, Nothing they say against us can harm us because we understand, we know who we are, and we're able to take that and in meekness, love, and care for others unconditionally. Meekness is a proper view of yourself. Meekness is considering others greater than yourself, letting go of looking out for your own interests. And meekness is leaving everything in God's hands. Trusting God's sovereign hand. I've already described, quoted Jesus' word. I will build my church. The gates of hell will not stand against it. Nothing we do, nothing we don't do, will change Jesus' purpose and his plans and the accomplishment of those things. We cannot get in the way of it. There's no sinfulness or brokenness or evil in this world that can stand against what Jesus intends to do. But what he has done is he has invited us into a life, a life that is led to accomplish that purpose. Will we be a people who trusting in his sovereign hand and his desire and strength and power and commitment to fulfilling exactly what he intends to do? Will we be a part of that mission? Jesus says to us, the way that we will be, if we are to be that, it is out of meekness. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Our elder team has been reading a book. It's called Gentle and Lowly. And as we think about Jesus and following after his meekness, the book is basically built on Matthew 11, verse 29. I'm going to back up and read from 27. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Here are the only times, the only words that Jesus uses ever in Scripture to describe Himself. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is describing his meekness. He is gentle and lowly. He offers rest. But notice in verse 27 what he says about himself. I have everything in my hands because the Father has allowed it to be so. He has given me possession of everything. And yet, my heart, 
with that power, with that sovereignty, with that control, with my purposes in mind, I am gentle and lowly of heart. I receive the worst of sinners, the most vile of sinners with grace and with mercy. Jesus paints the perfect picture of what it looks like to be meek. Not weakness, not being plowed over, but harnessed for the purposes of God. And so he says, blessed are the meek. He gives us these description of what we've looked at, what it means to be meek. And then we look at the promise. For they shall inherit the earth. What does it mean to inherit the earth? Again, aren't we supposed to, we're not worried about this world. Well, in a spiritual sense, Jesus is talking about the new heavens and the new earth. But think of this for a moment. And if we are truly meek, as we have described, then we are truly satisfied exactly where we are. And if you're truly satisfied, then you've already inherited the earth. Because there's nothing more for you to possess. Just imagine you're a child. You walk into the candy store and you have everything. And unlike earthly children, you are satisfied. You don't want more. You don't want a bigger candy store. You've got it all. And in that moment of satisfaction, not desiring anything else, you have received For those of us who are in Christ, we, if we are meek, if that describes us, we trust completely in God's sovereign hand. We are thinking of others greater than ourselves. We rightly view our our own hearts and recognize how we are not owed anything. Then we are satisfied. Whatever this life brings us, we are okay. We're not constantly struggling for more, more power, more control, More leadership, more ownership, any of those things. We're satisfied with where we are and what God has given us. And we're not thinking, by the way, in a physical sense there. We're satisfied in who we are in Christ. Spiritually speaking, we have received all that we ever need. And so in a sense, when Jesus says these words, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. He is giving them a promise which has already been fulfilled. We have already inherited the earth because when we rightly understand all of these things, we don't need anything more. I have all that I need. I am a son of the most high God. I know my future. I know my past even more. What else do you have for me, Lord? I am yours. But also, there is a future sense of this. Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 8. That we, as sons and daughters of the Most High God, are heirs, heirs to a throne. Romans chapter 8, verse 12, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, which is by the Spirit that we live in meekness, you will put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. 
The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And hear this, friends. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. We are heirs with Christ. Through our union with Christ, through His death, burial, and resurrection, our faith in Him, we have a high priest who sits at the right hand of God the Father and He will take us to Him. We are heirs. We will inherit the earth. So, as we close, let us remember that these, this meekness, the way that we live this out, this is not something that comes natural to us. We cannot force these things. The monks read this text and they secluded themselves away from all of the rest of the world in an attempt to force meekness upon their lives. And they couldn't do it. They weren't ever satisfied. Meekness comes as a gift of the Spirit. And so if you have not ever put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you have not been made new, don't strive for this meekness on your own power. But go back to the first beatitude and ponder that. In the second, blessed are the poor in spirit. Empty yourself. Realize that you are, you come to the end of yourself and put your hope in Christ alone. Grieve your sin. Mourn your sin and receive the comfort of Christ. And then meekness will follow. And for those of us who have received Christ, who have put our hope in him, if this is not describing our own lives, if we don't have a meekness to our lives then we would be wise to lament and repent of that. To ask the Holy Spirit of God, which already fills you, to empower you, to create in you a meekness that follows Jesus. So that in that meekness, the world might look around and see you and be confounded, be confused, be put in just, I don't understand what is going on with them. How do they live that life? How do they constantly over and over and over again deal with all of the struggles and the oppression of this world and continually have hope, have joy, have peace, live peaceably with others who see the world differently than they do? Are you able to daily consider others greater than yourself? Do you trust in God's sovereign plans to do exactly what he intends to do? If not, meekness may be lacking. And we should humble ourselves before God and ask his spirit to empower us to live as he's called us to live. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, I praise you for the picture of meekness that you are total power absolute sovereign supreme power laying down your life on a cross so that I might be welcomed in as a son of God Thank you for that picture, Lord Jesus. I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that we would live as people marked by this truth. 
we would receive your promise. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And we would trust it and believe it and just live that out. Help us to repent now, Lord, where we have failed to live as you have called us to live. Help us to be a people who confuse the world around us, not for our glory, but for your glory, so that they might ask the question, why? What do you possess? And we might say to them, I possess the earth because I am satisfied in who I am in Christ alone. And so whatever it is that this world gives me, I know who I am. I know whose I am. I have Christ and that is all I need. Would you allow those testimonies to just proclaim your goodness and your love and your mercy, your power, your victory to the world around us? Holy Spirit, we need your help. We will fail to do this on our own. We need you to move in our lives. So I plead in the name of Christ for us to be a people of meekness who trust in the beautiful promise that we will inherit the earth. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We pray these things in your mighty name. Amen. Well, thank you so much for being with us. I want to just well say a special word of thanks to those of you who are joining us online. We're so grateful for the opportunity to just interact with you and just remind you that if we have never had a chance to meet in person, we'd at least love to be able to maybe send you a text, an email, have a conversation with you. And so text us, visit CCM, V-I-S-I-T, CCM to 97000 um, so that we can engage with you. If you're in the room and you also haven't ever gotten a phone call from somebody at our church, that's because you haven't texted us. So we need your help in that. We don't want to have to come and, you know, do the contact thing. So we're trying to be, be uh, think of you first in that. So help us in that. Um, we also uh, just want to remind you of our midweek things that are beginning, men's and women's Bible studies, student ministries, all of those things are beginning this week. And so uh, please go to our website, go to our social media pages, and you can find all the details there about uh, the upcoming weeks. Love you guys. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time. God bless. Thanks for listening to the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. at 2300 Vineyard Hill Lane, and we look forward to seeing you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.